good morning. Good to see you guys here today. If you're watching online today, glad you guys are here. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter two today. Uh, again, reminding you the Bible project started last uh, week. We're encouraging everybody to read through the New Testament this year. And so there's an app for that. Uh, there's a plan to follow. And uh, my heart, my excitement in this is that we'd see a thousand people read through the New Testament as a church this year. And that means if you can read. So if you've got kids in, in school, uh, grade school, middle school, high school, we want to see everyone participating in this. Just imagine what God could do in 2021 if you planted the word of God in your heart and made that uh, just a priority and a habit in your life. You want 21 to be better than 20? Well, you can't just keep doing the same things that you've always been doing. And so uh, we're gonna read through the New Testament. I believe God's gonna bless and do incredible things in your life as a result. We're also memorizing one verse every month. And so if you didn't get a keychain, grab one when you leave. There's also a screensaver. If you follow us on social media, you can put it on your phone just to kind of help remind you um, through the process. Uh, we're in a sermon series uh, studying the book of Ecclesiastes right now. And we're learning from the words of the preacher. His name is Solomon and he had it all. He had the money, he had the power, he had the, the, the fame and the pleasure. Everything that our hearts are seeking today, Solomon had. And he teaches us that he's, he's searching for this meaning and he's searching for significance in his life uh, by running after all these different things. And he tells us that nothing that he experienced actually brought him satisfaction. Nothing brought him happiness. And so his search felt like he was just chasing after the wind. He could never grab what he was hoping for. He could never grab onto that happiness or, or find that meaning. And so uh, the analogy is that he was simply chasing the wind, never able to catch it. And you know, like Pastor Solomon, uh, we're all looking for life. You and I are looking for life-giving moments in our life and we're looking for significance. And so we search for that life in our job, uh, through our kids, through love and relationships, through money and power and material things, you name it, we're running after it. And every single one of us is looking for something that we hope will bring life into our world. The younger crowd in the room has probably heard Justin Bieber's, uh, one of Justin Bieber's recent releases. It's called Lonely. And uh, the title actually kind of really tells the whole story when you think about it. And I won't share the whole thing and I'll filter out some of the bad language, but here's the chorus. The chorus is, what if you had it all, but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me. Cause I've had everything, but no one's listening. I'm so lonely. In the song, he just repeats, I'm so lonely. And you think about that, you hear it, and it's like, what does Justin Bieber know about being lonely? I mean, this guy has the looks, the fame, the power, the money. What could he possibly know about feeling lonely? People all over the world want to hang out with him and be with him. They'd pay money to hang out with him and, and, and be with him. So, so how could he know what that feeling is like? And I think it's easy for us to understand. Perhaps Justin has experienced exactly what Solomon is talking about. And it's what many of you have experienced in your life as well. You can have money, you can have success, you can have a great family, and you can still feel unhappy. But today, 
we're gonna learn the only way that you and I can truly enjoy this life. There's only one way that you can actually find this meaning that you're searching for in life. And so we're gonna start in chapter two, verse one together. Read the first few verses. Here we go. Solomon says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My, still, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, chapter one, uh, Solomon really kind of gives an overview of his testimony and kind of a few highlights. But in chapter two, he really starts to dive into uh, the specifics of his journey as he was looking for meaning. And he says in the first few verses uh, here that, that, that he has become a pleasure seeker. He's saying that that he decided that he's gonna see what's gonna, what's gonna bring pleasure into his life. How is he in fact going to enjoy himself in this life? And he says very clearly, okay, here we go. He wanted to have a good time. If you just kind of wanna summarize the first few verses here, you could say his, his goal and his thought process was like, look, I just wanna find pleasure. I just want to enjoy myself. I just want to have a good time. And if I can have a good time, then I'm going to experience pleasure. Then I'm going to experience joy. Then I'm going to find happiness and meaning. So what does he do to try to find a good time in his life? If you're taking notes, letter A, he wanted to laugh and be entertained. Verse two, he wanted to, he wanted to laugh, right? He wanted to experience laughter and he hoped if he could find laughter, if he could find entertainment to, to help distract him from some of the, 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 the unpleasantries of life, then he could find joy, then he could find purpose, and then he would actually enjoy his life. He wanted to laugh and have a good time. Now we've all heard that laughter is the best medicine. In fact, Dr. Gushan Sethi, uh, the, the head of cardiothoracic surgery at Tucson Medical Center from the University of Arizona says, listen to this, laughter activates the body's natural relaxation response. So when you laugh, your body naturally kind of relaxes. So if you're tense and you laugh, whew, you kind of relax a little bit. Uh, he goes on, it's like internal jogging, providing a good massage to all of your internal organs while also toning abdominal muscles. <laughs> I've never heard it explained that way, that laughter is like a massage for your organs. <laughs> but I, I mean, I kind of get the ab workout, right? Because we've all laughed so hard, our stomach hurts, right? We've all kind of done that. We, we know that that uh, kind of feels like. So I guess if we, if we laugh today, you kind of count that as your ab workout, right? You laugh at least three times today, that's three sets and that's all you need. You can go home today and say, I, you know, I didn't go to the gym, but I got a good workout today. I got, got three sets in. Um, laughter is good, no doubt about it. It reduces stress, it boosts our immu immunity, it helps us fight off depression, it helps us deal with painful experiences in our life. We've all felt the benefits of a good laugh. Now, 
Think about the funniest movies you've ever seen in your life, right? I'm gonna reveal a little bit about myself right now, so don't judge me, but I'll never forget the very first time I watched the movie Dumb and Dumber. Best day of my life. Like literally, when I watched that movie as a, as a freshman in college, I believe, it was the funniest day and in, in, in one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I mean, who could, who could pretend like Lloyd isn't just like, you know, one of the best guys ever? Like he's taking this beautiful woman to the airport to start the movie off, right? And he's trying to flirt with her and try to spark up a conversation. And he goes, you're going to the airport, huh? Flying somewhere? I mean, it's classic. Who, who in my generation has not had a, a difficult week, a difficult day, and said, we got no jobs, we got no food, our pets' heads are falling off, right? These are the moments that get us through the challenging times in our life. And uh, we could go on about Tommy Boy. I could talk to you all day about him. I could talk to you about, you know, uh, Adam Sandler and his ridiculously dumb movies, but why do we tune in? Because we want to laugh. We want those moments and we search for hours on Netflix, right? You probably search for a show longer than you actually watch shows. Have you ever done that? And we search for hours to find these comedies because we're searching for something that will, will bring us joy. We want to laugh. The number one most downloaded show in 2020 was The Office. Now, why? It's a comedy. It's got a terrible plot, doesn't really have good storylines. And we think about most comedies, uh, uh, movies, they don't really have good storylines. They're, they're not really like a, 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 an engaging movie, but they're funny. And that's what we're after. We want to escape our reality and we wanna have a good laugh. Solomon hoped if he had a good time, he would finally enjoy life. But unfortunately, didn't work. His conclusion, look at verse two again. He says, laughter is mad. Now, the, the, the Hebrew word for mad there doesn't mean out of your mind or crazy like we might use that word today. Uh, in ancient wisdom, biblical literature, it simply meant sinful. So I think the concept and the idea here is that Solomon is saying, like when you laugh, much of our laughter is because of sinful or immoral things happening. Much of our laughter at least is displeasing to God because of the content of what it is we're looking at. We love entertainment. We love to escape our reality. It helps us to deal with our emotions. We get into the zone. We don't have to think about our current situation or our current problems. Right? We can zone out, become that character. And, and uh, when we think about that, though, it's like we zone out. We're essentially never really growing spiritually we're never really growing our marriage when we're watching television. We're never really growing or developing as leaders. I mean, we're becoming a generation of couch potatoes, just kind of numbing ourselves with the medication of Netflix and HBO. And, and as a result, we're not growing. And so here would be my challenge. What if you eliminated just one episode a night? Just, just one 30-minute block of Fox News or CNN, whatever you watch, and, and for that 30-minute block, you just decided to read through the New Testament with your church. What if in that moment, instead of just kind of searching for something to veg out on, you went to something that was life-giving? I think it's interesting to note, you read the entire Bible, and you, you, you see in the New Testament specifically that there is not one record of Jesus 
ever laughing, not one. And so I don't really know the reason why. I'm sure there was a day when he laughed, but it's not recorded for us in the word of God. And so here is the sinless, perfect savior of the world that changed the course of history. And there's not one verse. I mean, we got the, the shortest verse in the New Testament. Jesus wept, we know he cried. We can't get one verse where Jesus laughed. It's just interesting. Perhaps it's because it's so fleeting. It doesn't bring happiness. Well, here's the second thing that Solomon tries here in verse three. He wanted to cheer himself up with good wine. So he thought maybe if I could get a good glass of Cabernet, it's gonna cheer me up a little bit. It's gonna warm the body. It's gonna warm the soul. I'm gonna be able to enjoy life and, 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 and be able to experience happiness, right? That's gonna, that's gonna bring that missing piece to my life. Now, um, the inappropriate use of wine is common practice in our world today. For those who think they wanna have a good time, it, you know, they constantly think alcohol has to be involved. Movies, music, glorify the abuse of alcohol, always fail to see the negative effects of its abuse. But the Bible is clear when it comes to wine. Drunkenness is sin. Abusing alcohol is sinful. It leads to foolish decisions and leads to much regret. Now, Solomon is saying that he's guided by wisdom here in chapter three or verse three and four while he is searching to cheer his body with wine. So I don't think it's uh, fair or I don't think we could say that he had become an alcoholic. I don't think that was his issue. He's not even saying that wine is sinful, but what we can say is that he's looking for a good time and he's solely trying to find that by drinking wine and it didn't work. Even with good wine, he was lonely, he was empty. Um, let's keep going. Verse four. He said, I made myself great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possession of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Um, here he continues and he's hoping that he is going to find success and meaning and, 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 and just purpose in his life. And we could kind of summarize uh, these verses by, by saying it like this. He wanted to do something important. He wanted to do something important, right? We all want to do something important in life. We all wanna be a part of something important in life. It's why we wanna have children. We feel like that's important. We wanna have jobs and we wanna be a part of teams that, that do great things. And so he was hoping that he could be a part of something important and that he would feel good about himself and that would finally bring him meaning. So how does he try to do something important? Verse four, he decided that he was gonna build and create things. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna build great buildings. I'm gonna build these pools. I'm gonna build these gardens. I'm gonna build great things. And that's gonna make me kind of stand back and say, look at everything I accomplished. Look at everything I did. I feel awesome about myself. 
But he says, no, that didn't even work. He wanted to see the beauty of the parks and beauty of the landscapes that he created. And, 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 and so he built, he created. In verse four though, who does it say he created those things for? You might circle it in your Bible so that you could come back to it um, in, in, in the future. It says over and over again that he built these things for himself. He says, I built it for myself. He didn't build it for the good of people or even his family. He built it for himself. What a mistake. Listen, if you wanna create something or build something great, at least don't just do it for yourself. Do it so that others would be able to be blessed and enjoy it. He wanted to do something important. So he wanted to build, he wanted to create. And then secondly, he also felt like if I'm gonna do something important, if I'm gonna be important, I need to have money and great possessions. And he had a lot of great possessions. In verse seven and eight, it says that he gathered silver and gold. Um, he, it says that he gathered many herds and many flocks of animals and he gathered treasures that only kings w- could, could dream of. And so he had the money, he had the possessions. And some people really believe this, even today, right here in the room, we, we think, man, the, the people that really have it together, the people that we really idolize are those folks that have a lot of money, are those folks that have a lot of possessions. We idolize them on social media, we idolize them on TV, and then we daydream about having what they have. Solomon says it doesn't work. I had it all and nothing brought me meaning. Now, remember last week we talked about how Solomon is, is walking, he has walked away from God, right? See, he's, he's living in sin, he's walked away from God, So he's doing several things in sin. And so when you read this and you see that he had slaves and and, uh, slaves were being born in his house and uh, he he was gathering them and choosing to do this because he had so much land, he had so much stuff. And so uh, we we recognize that we don't look at this and we see, oh, he, he was having sex with all these women and he had all these concubines and he had slaves. We're just gonna totally write this guy off. That's why I don't believe the Bible. That's why I don't believe anything it says. But here's the reality. Um, when the Bible speaks of men like Solomon, it's showing us his mistakes, showing us how not to live so that you can experience life to the fullest. And so this is one of those cases where we see all these things and we recognize that, okay, he's in sin and, and that's why God brings it to us. Needless to say, he had a lot of possessions because he had a lot of money. Uh, he could buy whatever he needed. Now, remember when it comes to money in the Bible, Money itself is not evil. Some of us are, are wealthy in the room and, and you consider your, yourself to have a lot. And the Bible never says that money is evil. The Bible says what? The love of money is the root of all evil. He says, listen, uh, I don't, we don't really know if he loved money, but what we can gather is that he had a lot of it and he was trying to find meaning in it. And he's telling us it didn't work. Now. He might've had a lot of fun spending that money because spending money can be fun, but it can't buy us happiness. And that's exactly, I think, his point here. He wanted to do something important. So he thought, let me build and create, let me have some money and some great possessions and then maybe I'll feel important. But he says, it doesn't work. Thirdly, he wanted to feel good, right? We wanna feel good, right? We wanna feel good. We, we wanna feel good about ourselves. We wanna feel good about life. We wanna feel good about our job. We wanna feel good about our family, right? 
2020 made us feel bad about a lot of things. And so we're like, I want to feel good. What makes us feel good? Well, here's what he tried. In verse eight, he tried good music. Good music. Now, man, good music can make you feel good. Um, Every single one of us can be moved by the power of music. In verse eight, he brought in choirs of singers, male and female singers. Why? Because he wanted to experience the blessing of music. Now, I don't know about you, but it's basketball season, so I'm at a lot of basketball games right now. And, and uh, when you're sitting in the stands and maybe your team is losing, you might be frustrated, maybe the refs are bad, because let's face it, the majority of the time they are, no offense if you're a ref. But when that frustration is in your heart, all of a sudden, the music plays a song like Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline, right? And you could be like, hey ref, you suck! Sweet Caroline, bum, 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 right? Your mood completely changes. Why? Because music has power, right? It, it, it just encourages us. It lifts up and speaks to our soul. It moves us to emotion. It can depress us as well, but it's a powerful blessing. But in Solomon's day, music was a rare commodity. You didn't, you didn't have radio and Spotify and Apple Music. You didn't have instruments like we have today. I mean, the, you know, the majority of the instruments weren't even invented at that time, but Solomon had the money to bring in the choirs. He had the money to bring in what instruments uh, were available and play music because he wanted life. He wanted emotion. He wanted to, I'm, I'm guessing he wanted to dance a little bit and get his groove on. I, I would even guess uh, that he even wrote music because he was such a great writer. So he's trying to experience joy. He's trying to experience uh, this, this good feeling in life through music. Some of us try to do that. We, we love music, and so it becomes an idol in our life if we're not careful because we desire it so much. But he tries it, and he says it didn't work. The second thing that he tried to feel good was good sex, good sex. He thought, man, I want to feel good, so the best way to feel good, right, is to have sex. And so in verse 8, he, it says that he had many concubines, <laughs> and that just means he had many women to sleep with, young folks. And so he had that money, he had that power to do that. Again, God isn't saying that's the right thing or God isn't saying it's okay to do that. Solomon, this is his autobiography. He's, he's saying, this is where I messed up. In 1 Kings chapter 11, it actually gives us like the, the, the amount of wives that Solomon had. And uh, in 1 Kings 11, it says that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. <clears throat> think about that for a minute. Uh, I was talking to my wife this week and I told her, I was like, honey, did you know that Solomon had 700 wives? And she said, well, it takes about that many to deal with one man. <laughs> true story, true story. Uh, see, that's, that's at least two last for you. You don't have to go to the, one more and you're going to, the, you don't have to go to the gym today. Uh, some of us, on, on a serious note, some of us struggle with this. You're married, right? You're struggling. And, and, and for some men in the room, you're actually considering leaving your wife. You're actually considering, if I could leave my wife, then I could find a woman who wanted to have sex with me, right? And Solomon would say, get a divorce, get a second wife, get a third wife, get a fourth wife, get 700 wives. You're still gonna want more. 
it's not gonna satisfy you. Learn to be content and honor the wife that God gave you today. Let's keep going. Isn't this fun? Verse nine, that's three. Nobody's going to the gym. So I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Imagine that. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had experienced in doing it and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. In verse 10, it says, whatever he wanted, he got. Whatever he wanted to try, he tried. And some of you are reading this and thinking about this and you're thinking, this dude has everything that I want right now. I mean, he's living the dream, right? Try whatever you wanna try, have whatever you wanna have, do whatever you wanna do. But I think his point is that pleasure seekers are never pleasure keepers. If that is your desire, if that is your heart, if you are seeking it and seeking it and seeking it, you will never keep it. Because here's a truth that that I'm learning and I know that Solomon has learned himself. And it is, if you are not satisfied today, you will not be satisfied with more tomorrow. It will never fulfill you. More sex won't fulfill you. Greater music won't fulfill you. Building bigger buildings or nicer things won't fulfill you. He's saying it's all meaningless and empty. Be satisfied and content today. You would think, okay, well, he's trying all this stuff. Okay, Trent, he doesn't experience purpose or meaning, but he's gotta be having fun, right? Like legit, he's gotta be enjoying himself, right? Wouldn't you think that? Anybody with me? Here's what he says in verse 17. I hated life. (laughs) Let that sit in for a minute. I didn't deny myself one stinking pleasure in my entire life. Any impulse that said, I want it. I'm on Amazon. I want it. I can buy it. Boom. Bought. Women. Want her. Looks good to me. Send her to my room. Money. Servants. He's saying, I had everything and I hated my life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and is striving after the wind. You can learn this today and accept this truth or you can keep chasing after the wind today, but you will be miserable. You will hate your life. And as a result, for many of us today, we wanna embrace the truths that we're reading. And listen, we don't get a pass today. We don't get to say, oh, well, I'm not like Solomon. I don't have that much money or power or fame. I can't just have whatever I wanna have. I'm not rich, so I don't have to worry about this. Think about this for a minute. Much of what we have today, Solomon would be envious of. Think about what we have in modern America. You and I are living essentially like kings. Think about it for a minute. You can go to the store this afternoon, buy a really you know, thick, nice ribeye steak, and you can cook that in your own kitchen at home. Solomon would say, only kings eat steak and only kings have the ability to cook in their own house. 
You can go buy a bottle of wine from from literally all over the world today for less than $6 probably. And, And he's saying, I've got to grow my own grapes. Our homes are better than anything in his wildest imagination. Central heat and air, are you kidding me? Windows, what are those, right? I mean, the the furniture that we have, more comfortable than he could ever imagine. You don't have to go outside to use the bathroom? What? Now, some of the men in the room still do that. (laughs) They don't have to do that, but they do. So when we think about this, the TVs, the iPhones, the, the music that we have, only kings live like this. We can feast on whatever we want uh, any time of day. Even homeless people feast at Carm every single week. You can go to the Golden Corral and have this buffet and, and, and you can eat so much food, you've got to unbuckle one of your belts and kind of do that deal. This is the only kings could feast like that. Most of us have access to much of the things that Solomon is saying he tried. And so the key is, are we searching for pleasure in those things and feel empty? Or are we searching for more of God and feel grateful? How, does, how did Solomon's search make him feel? Well, he hated his life. He was tired of his life. It was meaningless. It was empty. We can learn this truth today or we can keep chasing after the wind. But why does he hate his life? Why, after all of this, do you think that he hates it? Well, let's keep going to verse 18. He said, I hated all my toil, all his work, essentially, in which he worked under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I worked and toiled and used uh, my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has worked or toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not work for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the work and striving of heart from which he worked beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Here's why Solomon hated his life. He hated his life because he he had become a workaholic. He's stepping back and seeing his life and seeing all the work, all the buildings, all the success, all the things that he had built. He put all his effort into his work, hoping that he would achieve something that would make him feel happy and proud and enjoy his life. But instead of finding meaning, he found bitterness. He found emptiness. And he was disillusioned with his life. It's hard to believe this was written 3,000 years ago. It feels like it's a number one New York Times bestseller from somebody this year, doesn't it? The same experiences that he's facing is the same reason we face it today. Think about some of the vocabulary he's using here. He's using the words despair and meaningless, chasing after the wind. He's, he's, he's using the word toil and work, striving. He uses the word hate and sorrow and vexation. He, he, he says there's no rest. 
instead of finding joy in all of his possessions, the more he had, the more he was anxious, the more he couldn't sleep, the more his business grew, the more success he experienced, the harder he felt like he had to work to keep it all going. He was in a downward spiral of tension and anxiety and he hated his life. Why? Because he had made work an idol and he realized that it couldn't deliver what he was hoping it would deliver. He realized that everything he had built, all of his accomplishments would be left to someone else. He'd have to give it to somebody else because we don't get to take any of this with us. Whoever you, you may leave it to could waste it or, or, or not handle it well or you know, we, we might leave it to our kids, but they might not even want it or, or deal with it well. And so he says, it's vanity, it's meaningless. I don't get to take any of this with me when I die. So here's his conclusion in verse 24. There's nothing better for a person that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat? or who can have enjoyment. He summarizes his experience here by essentially saying this, apart from God, there is no enjoyment, but with God, there is much enjoyment. So you cannot find enjoyment in this life with anything that this world has to offer. And I don't know about you, but when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I believed a lie. I, I, I believed a lie and, and I wasn't necessarily taught this, but I heard this in some forms, you know, growing up. And so I, I kind of formed this opinion that, that anything that felt good was probably wrong. I began to believe that God didn't want me really to be happy, that God didn't want me to do really anything fun. Like the world is evil, and uh, all the evil people are, are having fun, but I can't be like them, and so I just have to be not having fun. I, I just have to kind of be lonely and miserable. If you wanna love Jesus, if you wanna go to heaven, really please Jesus, you gotta kind of get rid of everything enjoyable that everybody else is doing. And if you got a dream and you want something in life, you're just being greedy, just shut up and sit there and don't pursue anything new. That was kind of what I was believing. Maybe, maybe you kind of felt that way growing up or even today as well. It's one of the reasons why I think I ran from God's call to be a pastor. I didn't want to be miserable. I wanted to enjoy life. And I didn't want to have to stand up every week in front of a group of people and tell them how they too could be miserable. <clears throat> but I've realized that that's not Christianity at all. Nothing that Solomon mentions today, laughter, wealth, music, building, work, sex with your spouse, all of these things can be good and right when used as God intended them. So think about it. In Christ, you're a new creation. And as a new creation, as you pursue him, you can finally enjoy the things of life. You can enjoy material gifts that God has given to you. You, you, you see, when we feel unsatisfied uh, with the things that we're experiencing, we realize that we were made for something different, for something more if we could find meaning in the pleasures of this world, we would never recognize our need for God. We would just keep finding joy in all of the pleasures and all the things that we think are fun, all the material things. But that's not how God created the world. 
He created it so that satisfaction would never be found in the pleasures of the world alone, but they are found first in God. You see, the problem is we're sinners, we're broken, we miss what Solomon misses. Instead of enjoying things that God intended us to enjoy, we seek meaning in the things that he has given to us. And our search begins to overtake our search for Jesus. And therein lies the problem. But when you turn to Jesus, when you ask him to save you, when you give your life to him and you actually start developing as a disciple of Christ, not just someone that puts their butt in a seat on Sunday morning or watches online, but you are actually growing in Christ. Something amazing begins to happen in your spirit and soul. You begin to grow and learn, begin to experience the, the very pleasures that failed to satisfy you, now you find even greater joy in through the goodness of God. When we enjoy Christ first, we can then enjoy the things that Christ gives to us. If you don't enjoy or pursue Christ, you will not enjoy anything really. Everything will be fleeting. A moment here, a moment there, you'll smile, you'll get a laugh here, you'll get a laugh here, but you'll not feel that fulfillment that Christ wants to give to you. You'll always want more and you'll constantly be looking around at what other people have and you'll be jealous and envious of what they have instead of learning this secret. When you're content with your creator, you will rightly enjoy created things. When you are first and foremost content with your Lord and Savior. Then and only then will you be able to enjoy the things that he created and has given to you. It's not gonna happen just simply by chasing pleasure in a sinful and selfish way just to please yourself. As followers of Christ, it begins to happen when we receive all of these pleasures as a gift from God. Listen, God invented pleasure. He wanted you to enjoy things in your life. He wanted you to experience pleasure. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to be miserable and not enjoy anything. Now, whatever legitimate pleasure we experience is a gift from God to be enjoyed and to bring glory to him. Danny Aiken writes, everything is meaningless without Jesus, but with Jesus, we can enjoy everything. Everything is meaningless without Jesus, but with Jesus, we can enjoy everything. Little play on words there that makes a lot of sense. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, God, he, David says, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. <laughs> I love it. Fill me with joy. You will fill me with joy. You will fill me with pleasure. Where does that happen? He says, in your presence. When I'm in the presence of God, seeking Him, honoring Him, then and only then can I taste true pleasure. Think about it. We taste God's pleasure when we receive laughter as a gift from God. Not just laughing at someone else's expense or making fun of them or laughing at immoral situations. No, we laugh at just normal, everyday, crazy life. We laugh at ourselves and we can look at ourselves not taking ourselves so seriously and we can enjoy that laughter as a gift from God. We can taste the pleasures of God when we receive wine appropriately as a gift 
from Him. We taste the pleasures of God when we design great homes and and build great buildings that are used for the good of others and for the glory of God. We can taste the pleasures of God when we walk in the beautiful smoky mountains and we walk in his creation and the gardens that he created and we look around and we can say, man, God is good. You can bring and, and receive, God can bring and give much pleasure even in your monotonous job when you work to please him. You can taste the pleasure of God by feasting at the banquet table with your friends and family, pulling up to the table with the great table filled with food. This is God's gift to you. Just don't do it every single day. (laughs) We can taste the pleasure of God even in money when it honors the Lord. When we are giving a percentage, 10%, at least to God. I would encourage you to save 10%, then live off 80%, and then you can enjoy and and, and experience the blessing of how God has gifted you. Not finding your significance in money, but honoring the Lord with your wealth. There's great pleasure in sex when it's used the way that God created it to be used between one man, one woman, in a covenant marriage. Outside of that that pattern and that design, it will bring suffering and pain and emptiness every time. See, God isn't trying to ruin your life. He's not trying to suck the life out of you. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He's actually helping you find life. He wants you to experience life. He's, he's, he's trying to lead you in this direction. So stop trusting in yourself and your own feelings and start trusting in his word today. He's trying to provide you with life-giving moments, but you've got to find your satisfaction in him first. You've got to pursue him first. And then all the other gifts that he gives to you can then be truly experienced. Do you want to help your marriage today? Seek God first. Only by seeking him will you understand how good you really have it. The key to finding meaning then is to recognize that all the good gifts come from the Lord. So James says, the book of James says, all good gifts come down from the Father of heavenly lights. He's, he's the one satisfying you. He's the one giving you meaning and hope, not the things that he is providing for you. And so if you pursue him, honor him with the pleasures of the world, you will finally enjoy them because you are first enjoying your savior. So when you're content with your creator, you can rightly enjoy created things. Let's pray together. God, I know there are folks in the room who are struggling with some of the very same things that Solomon struggled with. God, would you convince us God, would you break our hearts to the things that break your hearts? God, would you show us the emptiness? God, would you, would you even lead us, God, to identify the lies that we're believing? And God, would you just draw us closer to your presence today? There are probably some folks in the room who have never given their life to you today, God. 
There's some folks in the room who are chasing the pleasures of the world and they are empty. Like Solomon, they hate their life. They feel all alone. I pray God that you would lead them to discover who you are. They would give your life, their life to you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.